If you have a Bible or a device, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 5. We will be there in just a few moments. It's great to see you here today, and for those of you uh, watching online, uh, thank you for joining us. If you're new here at Woodside, uh, we are going through the Gospel of John in the series called, What If Everything Jesus Said Was True? And John tells his readers, tells you and me, why he wrote this book. And in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John wrote those words as a very old man. He was 50 years removed from the cross of Jesus Christ, and he's sharing with others, I saw the risen Christ. I believe he is what life is about. And his other uh, friends, his disciples, uh, for the most part, they all died. Uh, many of them were tortured and executed, all going to their deaths, saying, we saw the risen Christ, and we believe. And where we pick it up in John chapter 5 today is John is going to share with us, as he lays out his book, he lays it out with seven signs, um, seven miracles, and then he lays out the seven I am statements of Jesus, that these miracles are pointing to who he is, and he wants us to believe there. Look at the evidence. But as we pick it up in John chapter 5, we're introduced again to some people that don't believe in Jesus, the religious leaders of Jerusalem. And Jesus has just healed a man who was lame for 38 years, almost 40 years, and he did it on the Sabbath. And these religious leaders are going to confront Jesus um, and ask him who he thinks he is healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus is going to turn the Sabbath issue into a Christological issue. He's going to share with them his identity of who he is. And he's going to share with us then uh, John is going to record for us what Jesus said to them. And we're going to find today as we read John chapter 5 that Jesus makes some staggering claims about himself and that life is all about him and who he is. And uh, these claims demand a response, not just from those first readers, but they de demand a response from every single human being. Jesus doesn't claim something like, I am the number one Toronto Maple Leafs fan. If you claim that, we'd say, hey, that's nice, or I'll pray for you, something like that. These claims are connected to you and your story. And you and me, we have to make the choice. Do we believe or don't we? Is life about Jesus or isn't it? And I want to remind you again today that Jesus either rose from the dead or he didn't. If he rose from the dead, all of his words are true. If he doesn't, didn't rise from the dead, none of his words are true. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, popularizes the argument that we have to make a choice with Jesus. We have to either believe in him and call him Lord, worship him, 
or we don't believe in him and we think he's a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or we believe he is a liar who should be spit on and killed, a demon of hell. It's one or the other. If the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus of history and his claims, these are his claims, you've got to make a choice. There's no middle ground. And C.S. Lewis says, so let's not come with this patronizing nonsense that Jesus uh, is a great human teacher because he didn't give us that option. So we've got to make a decision about Jesus and his claims. And we here at Woodside, if you're new, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we have life in his name. And every week, our purpose is to point to Jesus. Uh, Back 500 years ago, at the time of the Reformation, Martin Luther, known as the preacher of the Reformation, realized that the church had had gotten corrupt. It was about politics. It was about money. It was about power. It wasn't about Jesus. And he called people back to God's word and to Jesus and uh, began to preach the gospel, the good news about Jesus and salvation by grace through faith. And um, there was a fellow that uh, painted during this time, and he's known as the artist of the Reformation. His name is Lucas Cranach. And he painted a series of paintings of worship. And in in this one, uh, he has Martin Luther preaching uh, from a pulpit. Do you see that pulpit? I just, like, that's like my dream pulpit. Could I just preach one time from there? Just one time. But notice he's got one hand on the Bible, one finger pointing at the text in the Bible, and he's got the other finger, and he's pointing to Christ. As Paul said, I preach, we preach Christ crucified. He's pointing to Christ. And notice the community, the congregation, they're not looking at Martin Luther. They're not even looking at the scripture. They're looking at the crucified Christ. And that's what we want to do each and every week at Woodside, because it's all about Jesus. At Woodside, we are not simply about your best life now. Yes, there are principles in Scripture. There are are laws and commands that when we follow them, they're good for us. So it's good for you to forgive. It's good for you to give of your money. It's good for you to give of your time and serve. Those are good for you. But the Bible isn't simply an owner's manual. It's not simply a book of virtues. Neither are we about politics. We can have, as a citizen of this country, we can have a voice around the table, as a follower of Christ at the table, but we're not primarily about politics. We're not uh, simply about the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to work in our life, And we need to talk about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is pointing us and testifying and glorifying someone else. And we're not simply about the Bible. We love the Bible. We preach the Bible. We teach the Bible. We believe it's the Word of God. But the Bible leads us to Jesus. The written Word leads us to the living Word. And each Sunday, if you come here and we study the Bible and your affection for Jesus, our Savior, is not growing We're missing the whole point. So Jesus today is going to make some startling claims about himself. He's going to say, it's all about me. And those religious leaders and you and me, we all have to decide, do we believe? Is he really what life is all about? Or don't we? There's no middle ground. So let's begin. John chapter 5, and we're going to work through uh, much of this discourse. 
So beginning in verse 16, we read, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath. And they're saying to him, they're persecuting him, attacking him. Like, who do you think you are? It's the pejorative voice. Like, who do you think you are? Jesus responds, verse 17. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Who do you think you are healing on the Sabbath? And notice Jesus doesn't uh, share with them hey, you've misinterpreted the Sabbath, that um, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. He doesn't go there this time. Instead, he talks about his relationship with the Father, that just as the Father is working, the cosmos is, is in operation, he's sustaining it, he's always at work. Just as he's always working, I too am always working, even doing good on the Sabbath. And what Jesus is saying here is there's a oneness between the Father and himself. He's talking about his relationship to the Father. A little later, he's going to talk about his relationship to the Holy Spirit. One God, one being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So he's saying, the the Father and I, we don't act independently. There's a a oneness. There's a, yeah, we, we act as one in action and will. And not only that, but we love each other. The Father loves me. There's this perfect community Jesus is saying he's equal to God. They knew that. If you're here today and you're wondering, or you're watching online and you're wondering, you know, really, what is God like? I can't see him. Jesus says, look at me. In other passages, he'll say, "If if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And so for someone to say, where in the Bible does Jesus say that he's God? I can't find it all over the place. In that context, to to say what he said, he was claiming to be equal to the Father. That's why they wanted him on a cross. They wanted to shut him up. That was a staggering claim that he was making. You said, the Father, he loves the Son. We're one. Uh, Sometimes we here at Woodside believe in what's called penal substitutionary atonement. Uh, There's a penalty for our sin. Jesus is our substitute. He is the only substitute because he lived a perfect life. And atonement, when he died on the cross for our sins, he atoned for them. He made amends before a holy God. And some people, they look at the cross and they say, how could a loving father allow his son to be crucified on the cross? What kind of father would do that? That, That's cosmic child abuse. But they don't understand the nature of the Godhead. They are one. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the father wasn't in heaven with his feet kicked up on a sofa. He was experiencing the same pain as the son because they're one. Similarly in scripture, it says that when we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean 
that the Father and the Son couldn't care less. No, when we sin, it saddens Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we pray and we're asked, like, who do I pray to? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When we look at Scripture, it says the pattern is to pray to the Father, sometimes to the Son, and there's nothing saying we can't pray to the Spirit. But the point is, when you pray to Father, Son, and Spirit, when you pray to one, you're not missing the other two because they're one. This equality in the Godhead. So Jesus claims, I'm one with the Father. We work together. He also claims, I give life just like the Father gives life, and I execute judgment. I have the authority to do that. So let's continue the, the conversation. Verse 21, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. These are staggering claims. Jesus says, I can give life, raise life, just like the Father, and I execute all judgment. Again, Jesus either rose from the dead, and what he's saying to you is true, or Jesus didn't rise from the dead, and it's not true. If it is true, if he rose from the dead, Jesus is saying he is judging the whole world. We here at Woodside, we preach that God is love, that he is the savior of the world. He loves you more than anybody else in the whole wide world. But we here at Woodside also preach that God is holy and has to judge sin. And we preach a God who judges sin because he loves people and he has to judge their wrongdoings. We preach both. We don't want to become a church that simply preaches God is love, God is love, but we never ever hear about any judgment because that's not the God of the Bible. It's both. And Jesus is saying one day, every single person is going to stand before me and see me as savior or as judge. We at Woodside always give the appeal, the invitation, put your faith in Jesus. And we, more than once, we've um, shown the famous painting by William Holman Hunt where Jesus is knocking on the door, the door of your heart, Revelation chapter 3. And Jesus is you know, saying, I want to come in and sup with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And we notice in the picture that there's no handle on the outside, which signifies the painter is trying to make the point that Jesus is not going to barge in the handles on the inside that you have to open the door to Jesus. And so we preach that. We say, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Please let him in. But we also say, because this is what Jesus said, whether we let him in or not, we're going to see him as Savior or as judge. He also says in verse uh, 23 that if you don't honor me, you don't honor the Father. Which means for the person that says, hey, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus and I don't believe the Bible, that's the wrong God. Because Jesus says, if you want to honor the Father, God, you honor me. There's that oneness that we've been talking about. All of these claims call for a response. What's your response? Here's what Jesus says, and here's his invitation to us all. Very truly, and you'll notice that phrase, three times Jesus uses it, uh, the King James translates it, verily, verily, I say unto thee, verily, verily. It's the idea, this is very true. So if you have a highlighter, 
underline this. If you have a uh, pen, underline this. This is very important. Three times he says, very truly. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Jesus gives the invitation to everyone. Notice the whoever, inclusivity. Jesus wants everyone to come to him, and he says, whoever comes and believes my message of who I am and what I've come to do, that I'm from the Father, the good news of Jesus, if you believe that, I'm granting you eternal life, life with God that goes on forever. And he says, you will not, notice there, you will not be judged because you've crossed over from death to life. Why aren't you judged for your sins? Because all of your sins were placed on Jesus. The one who judges was the judged one. That God himself was judged because he loves you and he loves me. He calls for a response. He continues speaking with those who, who are giving him pushback and opposition, the religious leaders. He says, very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus says a time is coming in the future, and it's already here, the time is now here, the, the, the power is now present among you, but a time is coming, he says, when the dead when all of those are in their graves, will rise to meet Jesus. Jesus said there's a day coming when his mighty voice will echo throughout humanity and all will rise to meet him. You'll rise to meet him. Again, he either rose from the dead and he's telling you the truth or he didn't rise from the dead and he's lying to you. You have to decide. If he rose from the dead, he's saying to you, whether you've been, you're placed in a grave, you're cremated, or you're lost at sea, you're going to stand before him some day. That's a sobering thought, not just you, but think about people that you're rubbing shoulders with at school, that you pass in the hallways. Think about your office, your work site. Think about your neighborhood. People that, that have no need for God, no need, they're all going to stand before Jesus. Everybody in our world today that has a, an opinion, I guess that would be everybody, right? Everybody's got an opinion about something. Everybody that says, I believe this, and this is my opinion, and this is what I believe is truth, they're all going to stand before Jesus if he rose from the dead. And Jesus says, those are going to be those that do good, and he's talking about the fruit of salvation. Again, what we are in position, we work out in practice. But those, those who are mine, I will raise to life, and those who are you, they will be raised the judgment, one or the other. Now, let me just pause for a moment and remind us, as followers of Jesus, how we carry this message that is not politically correct, that nobody wants to hear anymore. Um, you know, we're almost, was all the, we're at the point where you couldn't talk about Jesus. Now it's like even talking about God is you're going to get pushed back. But, but we can talk about Jesus if he's just like 
another great teacher, but the moment we say that Jesus is a savior of the world or that people need Jesus, that's when there's pushback. And so how, how do we carry this message? Well, we carry it with truth and grace. That's the one we're following. And when we look to Jesus, please get this. Here are the religious leaders. We know they are hypocrites. We know that they put burdens on the people. They were weighing them down. If you want God to be right with God, you have to do this and this and this. And they weren't doing a lot of the things. They were, they were just bullying these people. They were just not good, greedy. And here they were, this, this group, and they're just staring at Jesus. And if you read through, and can I encourage you this week to, to read through John 5, 6, 7, and 8, but just read through this discourse with them. They, they're accusing him. They're attacking them. They hate him. And eventually, they're going to get him on a cross. There's going to be violence. And what is Jesus' response? He doesn't use truth as a weapon. But he would say in Matthew 23, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, speaking of the people and the religious leaders, how I long to gather you as a, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing to come to me. Oh, that you would believe who I am. And then later on the cross, when he's finally nailed to a cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see the heart of Jesus. He wants everyone to come to him. And the truth is not used as a weapon. Full of grace, full of truth. What that looks like in our lives, it's, yeah, it, there, there's some play there. But the reality is, is that we are calling people to Jesus. See, uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, the Prince of Preachers, uh, years ago, um, and I think it was in his uh, book, Lectures to My Students, but he was talking, I think it was to pastors, and he was saying, listen, when you talk about hell, because if you're going to be biblical, you have to talk about hell, and hell is not about a guy in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. It's not about fire. Hell is a place of separation from God, where someone says, I don't want you, God, and God says, okay, I will, you have free will, I will give you what you wish. But Charles Spurgeon says, you never, ever talk about hell without tears in your eyes. So Jesus gives the invitation, and they reject it. It's interesting, Acts chapter 6, after he rises from the dead, some of those that rejected him, some of the priests, came to faith because he loved them. So Jesus gives these, makes these claims, and then he says, in effect, listen, I've shared who I am. You've looked at my resume. We've gone through it. Now we're going to look at my references. Right, if you've gone somewhere for a job interview or something, you know, do you have any references to kind of confirm who you say you are? And uh, Jesus doesn't need to do this, but he does it because in that day, uh, in the first century, in, uh, it comes from Old Testament law, that someone could not be condemned um, based on one person. It required two or three witnesses. And it was expanded in judiciary settings to say, Someone's testimony had to be validated by more than one person, two or three people. So Jesus is saying to them, okay, I've told you who I am. I'm going to give some evidence. And then Jesus in this conversation says, John the Baptist testified about me and who I am. My miracles, the signs I perform, they show who I am. And the Father, you can recognize his activity in my life. The Father testifies about me. And then he says this in verses 39 and 40. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus says the very scriptures you're reading and you're studying diligently, it's good to pour over the word of God, they're all testifying to me, but you won't come to me to have life. The fourth witness is the very word of God. It's pointing to me. Now, Jesus, when he's referring back to, to what we know as the Old Testament, uh, and, and in particular, the, the Torah, the first five books, but Jesus is not saying that he's behind every rock in the Old Testament. But what he's saying is, when you look at the Old Testament, the orientation, the flow is all pointing to him and his story. And that's what we believe at Woodside, that the 39 books in our Old Testament and the 27 books in our New Testament, all 66 books, are telling us one story, the story of Jesus. He, he would later say in the conversation in verse 46 uh, to them, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he, notice this, wrote about me. You honor Moses in the law, but Moses was talking about me, pointing to me. And then after his resurrection, Jesus, speaking with two followers, uh, moving from outside Jerusalem to Emmaus, said this, in Luke 24, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, again, what we know is our Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then later that day to his disciples after his resurrection, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus said again and again, scripture, life, it's all about me. And so we here at Woodside, we believe that. And so as you read the Bible, we could break it up into to different uh, segments or acts. Uh, we have uh, creation at the beginning and then we have the fall, and then we have uh, redemption, Jesus dying on the cross, and then we have restoration or recreation or new creation. Jesus died on the cross, his first coming. He inaugurated um, uh, restoration, and then he, it will be consummated at his second coming, new heavens, new earth. So we read Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, with what we call a Christological lens, that it's all pointing and testifying to Jesus. We can't unhinge the Old Testament from Jesus or from the New Testament. If you want to understand Jesus, you have to understand the Old Testament. And that's why the writers, uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul wrote, Peter wrote, John wrote, that's why they all didn't start back when Jesus was born as a baby. They all go back to the beginning of the story and they help us to see it's all about Jesus. When Moses was writing about the one in Genesis 3.15, the one that would crush the head of the serpent, the, the offspring of the woman, he's talking about Jesus. The star of Jacob, Jesus. The prophet that they should listen to was about Jesus. The temple, pointing to Jesus. The sacrifices, pointing to Jesus. The festivals, pointing to Jesus. He is the lamb, 
that was led to slaughter. He was the stone the builders rejected. He was the ram that was caught in the thicket. Abraham in the, pri- uh, in the promise, Moses in the law, David in the throne. It's all about Jesus. And so here at Woodside, week after week, one hand in the Bible and one hand pointing to Jesus, that our affections may grow for, for him. So I want to ask you today, what's your response to Jesus? He either rose from the dead, and everything he said is true, or he didn't rise from the dead, and it's a lie. If you're here today and you said, you know what, I have placed my faith in Jesus, I'm a follower of him, can I challenge you today to recommit your life to Jesus because you're not hearing that in our world today. You don't need Jesus. You don't need a Savior. You don't need that. Could you today say, Jesus, I'm following you. I love you. I trust you. I want to obey you. And you'd recommit your life to him. And then if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you haven't put your faith in him. You haven't acknowledged your need for him to save you. I want to ask you, why haven't you done that? Why haven't you done What is preventing you from doing that? Jesus is giving the invitation to everyone. Jesus said his judgment is just. He is loving and he is just. And I don't understand, again, how people that haven't heard about Jesus, how they're going to be judged, that God knows their hearts. But no one, when they stand before Jesus in the judgment, will say, you're unjust. This is unjust. No one. Because he is loving and he is just. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus today, you can do that. Sally Lloyd-Jones in her uh, book called The Jesus Storybook Bible, it's a wonderful Bible if you're a parent or grandparent, I encourage you uh, to maybe consider this book. Um, But in this book, she captures what we've been talking about today. And at the beginning of her storybook, she writes this. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you, how people, showing people, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see 
a beautiful picture. Do you see the beautiful picture? That it's all about Jesus. And may we at Woodside, may our lives be all about Jesus. And may we continue to point people to this Jesus. This Jesus who loves people who are very religious and they know the Bible inside and out. And this Jesus who came to rescue people who have never ever opened a Bible. This Jesus who came to our world because he loves us. I'm going to invite you at this time to bow your heads as we respond today. you're here today or you're watching online and you have put your faith in Jesus today, would you recommit your life to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. You're what my story is all about. Would you recommit your life to him? And then if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus today, He's inviting you. He's standing at the door, knocking on your heart. And today, you can let him in and by faith put your trust in him. And you can say something like this if God is stirring your heart right now. God, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. And God, I acknowledge, I confess that my sins lead to death and judgment. But God, right now, by faith, I put my trust in your son, Jesus. Jesus, save me from my sins. I invite you to be my Savior and Lord. God, help me to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. It's the greatest decision you can ever make.